Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians. After the reading, there will be a time of quiet reflection. Let us think about the reading and prepare our hearts for the sermon. In the letter, Paul writes to the churches he founded in Galatia, chapter 5, verses 16 through 26, refer to the life by the Spirit. Now I say to you, so I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of a sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become contented, provoking, and envying each other. Thanks for reading that. I'm excited that you're going to come to the Mount each week and do that for me as well. You're a great reader. Same with the pianist. I'm excited to have you with us tonight to play that exact piece. It was amazing. I want to say thank you to Pastor Phil for letting me preach today. I also want to say thanks to the old guys I've been playing basketball with for the last five years. We play for you, and we finally won that stinking church league this week. I'm looking at you, Big John and Mark and Josh. Five years. The best decision we ever made was letting the Jones family join the church. That was what. (laughs) You cannot make any sense of Galatians as a book, as a work from from Paul, unless you pay close attention to chapter 5. 
Chapter 5 is where Paul really starts to turn the screws, and he gets very specific. Up to now, he has tossed aside and theologically dismissed any hint of legalism in our lives as Christians. And in chapter 5, he's moved on to what we are set up for in Christ, which is freedom. As soon as we start talking about freedom, though, we get squirrely really fast. As Eugene Peterson says, freedom is a delicate and subtle gift, easily perverted and often squandered. Seems like as soon as we start talking about freedom in the church, Christians get really nervous. Some of us hear the word freedom, and we abuse it, and we live for our own desires and our indulgences, that list that Paul has there, and we run toward what Martin Luther called cheap grace, because God's always going to love us, and God's always going to forgive us, so I can just do whatever I want. We have plenty of that at the Mount with people on that side trying to figure that out. Uh, some of us are afraid of freedom, and we're so afraid of it that we reject it. And we spend our time limiting our own freedom and other people's freedom, and we become the freedom police. Both extremes are disastrous, and neither extreme is the life in Jesus that Paul is inviting us into. So my goal in our time together this morning is for all of us to be able to walk out of here feeling, dare I use the word, inspired, encouraged by our freedom in Christ, not worried about doing it wrong. Pray with me. Father, as we dive into this classic text from Paul, would you just open up our, our hearts and our minds to what you're trying to say to us? Help us to hear freedom with fresh ears and a new perspective. Show us where we've gotten off track in this conversation and help us get moving in the right direction. Show us what life in the Spirit looks like for each of us and give us courage to surrender ourselves to you again today. Amen. So Paul is talking about some broad, he's talking about a broad concept with a few concrete examples. And we can't miss that. It's a broad concept. We love to race right to those two lists and focus there. But we have to hold those in this bigger concept that Paul is trying to give us. The big concept here in chapter 5 really is verse 16, is where he turns it to where we're talking about today. The big concept, Paul says, is, I say, live by the Spirit. That's the theme that Paul is developing here in the second half of chapter 5. He's invited us to freedom in Christ earlier in chapter 5. And how do we do it? Well, Paul's answer is starting in verse 16. He says, live by the Spirit. There are a few realities we have to address, though. It doesn't come naturally to us to live by the Spirit. It comes naturally to us to live for ourselves. We have a sinful nature. All of us do. That's an unpopular message today, but it remains true. Humanity, we, we have a sinful nature. Uh, you can disagree with me until you have your own two-year-old, and then you'll know it's <laughs> plainly obvious. Paul lays this theme out in most of the letters that he writes. In verse 16, though, Paul is trying to help us elevate the conversation. He did the nitpicky rule-following thing for a long time, and he's really good at it. That is not where Paul is going now. Paul is adamantly in the other camp. He's saying, you know what? 
as long as we're focused on what we're doing and what we're not doing, we're missing the whole point. Because doing or not doing and worrying about it keeps things in the physical realm. And it keeps us in charge. It allows us to micromanage our lives. And the freedom in Christ that Jesus died on the cross for and that Paul is in prison for proclaiming is not micromanaging our sin. If you try to micromanage your sin, that huge list in verses 19 through 21, uh, you're, you're going to fail. You might succeed at some of those. Well, you know, hey, I, I, I stay clear of witchcraft. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. <laughs> some of those others are a little trickier to just try to avoid and micromanage around. We spend incredible amounts of energy micromanaging ourselves away from our sinful desires. The deceptive thing here is that this seems like a noble thing. It seems like a good thing. But in verses 16 and 17, Paul makes a better suggestion, a better use of that energy. Instead of micromanaging that first list, which keeps things purely in the physical realm, Paul says, why not use that energy instead to aim our lives into a life in the Spirit. If we do that, Paul says, the Spirit will always guide us where we should go and where we should not go. It's the difference between looking at your feet while you're hiking, saying, oh, I hope I don't take a misstep, versus looking ahead at the trail and just trusting that your feet are going to do what they're supposed to do. And this is an invitation. Paul is inviting us into this life. He said, this is what Christ died on the cross for, It is for freedom that you've been set free. And he's inviting us into this. Like I said, Paul had lived the other way. And it did not lead him to joy or peace. He was running around killing people. So this is why he's so feisty in Galatians. Because it means a lot to him personally. He says, I've been down that dead end road. And it, it, it didn't do anything for me. Paul says to ditch those selfish desires and instead settle into this life in the Spirit. For good measure, he adds in verse 18 that a life in the Spirit takes care of the law completely. It neutralizes it. This is a big theme in the writings of Paul. In Romans 8, he writes, Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them and find that God's spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what God is doing. There was a message we could communicate to the church today. That would be right at the top of my list. There's something really big here that Paul is trying to warn us of. Keeping track of what we're doing and not doing is still a very effective way of staying in control and keeping the attention focused on ourselves. Even when we're trying really hard to do things right, we can still be ignoring God. That's a weird, strange reality, but it's completely true. If I'm so focused and self-absorbed with what I'm doing and not doing, Paul says clearly that I'm not focused on God. 
even if I hate myself for the things I'm doing or I'm full of self-loathing and I can't stand, that's still a way of just staying completely focused on myself. But it gets really dicey because it, it just seems like the right thing to do. Worrying about avoiding the one list and striving towards the other list. Paul's point is not for us to make checklists of those two big lists. Those are just examples. Paul's point is for us to look up and to just trust and learn to live in the Spirit. So what is a life in the Spirit? That sounds like religious jargon to me, and I'm not quite sure what Paul means. So what are we talking about? Well, very generally, the Holy Spirit, or or the Helper, is the one that Jesus sent to us after he left. He sent the Holy Spirit to guide each of our lives. And the invitation to all of us is to tap into this greater source of knowing and guiding and to trust it instead of relying on ourselves. This is God's plan for us living into and becoming the kingdom of God here on earth. God was smart enough to know that as humans, we were still going to need some help living this life that Jesus invites us into. And so we have the choice to tap into this higher power of knowing, this helper, this Holy Spirit. Don't assume that that that's going to happen, though, if you're still wanting to be in charge. Theologically speaking, when you choose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit fills our lives and guides us and directs us. But if you're still living to be in charge, stop pretending that the Holy Spirit is going to somehow change that game. We cannot be selfish and live for ourselves and live for Christ. You don't get very far in the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus or Paul before you realize that you've got to drop that ego. You've got to get rid of self, the pride, the flesh, all the different languages that Paul has for us. And let's be honest, the reasons we have for managing our sin are almost all egoic. My fear, my desire to be in control, uh, my desire for power, my, my enjoyment for judging others because it makes me feel good, or even my self-loathing for, for my own problems. Whatever our reasons are for staying in control of those lists, it's almost always an ego concern. It's coming up out of that false self that says, I want to be in charge and I want to do it this way so that people will be impressed by me. I want to get noticed for it. I want to micromanage it. This is not life in Jesus. So we have to get out of the way to enter into the spirit life. And we have to do that every day because every day that you live here on earth, you're still going to be a human. And every day there's still going to be that temptation blinking right in your blind spot to live for yourself and to live for your own pride and to be in charge and to have your ego be the ultimate authority of your life. And so every day we have to go through this process of saying, I'm going to live in the Spirit. I'm going to choose to get my feet or my eyes off of my feet and I'm going to look up. And I'm going to look to God and I'm going to trust that the Spirit's going to guide me which does some weird things for us. Not only do we stop worrying about ourselves and stop taking ourselves so seriously, we also stop trying to manage other people. I think that's a huge point in all of this. So Paul wants us to elevate above all that kind of stuff. 
That doesn't mean the rules still don't matter. I know that's like the pushback. Well, clearly there are expectations for the Christian life. I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. If we say we're Christians and we're living out that first list, we're not doing ourselves any good and we're not doing our world any good. But Paul says, if we're tapped into the Spirit, the lists take care of themselves. And that's a huge point. That's a point that we uh, need to sit and, and soak in and think about because we live in a culture, uh, and especially a religious culture, that really elevates the idea of micromanaging our own choices and our own sin. At least that was the kind of church I grew up in. And I see a lot of us doing this. We work really hard on those lists. It fits our ethos of America and I think particularly of Utah. So we avoid the one list and then we see the second list and we say, wow, that's a good list. I got to go start checking those off. I got to do those. And again, this seems like a great idea. And this is very subtle, but it's just us play acting because I'm still in charge. I'm going to make sure that you see me being full of patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And I'm going to work really hard to not do this other list that's pretty nasty. But that's just me still being in charge. And that is not the life that we're invited to in Jesus Christ. Jesus never invited us to manage ourselves. We have a huge chunk of the Bible that proves over and over again that humanity is not very good at that. We need the grace and mercy of Jesus. And as long as I'm in charge, I'm not submitting my life to him and his plan. And as a Christian, uh, a life without submission is not a Christian life. It's just not. It's play acting. I used to take students, uh, I was a youth pastor for about a decade, which is a long time to work with teenagers. Next time you see Jamie White, just give her a hug. Just say, keep on keeping on. I used to take students to uh, San Francisco. It's a great city to do urban immersion mission projects. And so we would load up the church van, which is always the worst of the church vans. I don't know how that always works out, kids being our most important commodity. We'd drive that sucker out to San Francisco. And this was 10 years ago or so. And we had the old GPS that was like suctioned to the window. This was high technology back then. This was, the, this was the biggest thing that had ever happened. Couldn't even imagine that our cell phone someday would be capable of that and we could text, all that thing. So uh, we'd get to downtown San Francisco and there's bicyclists flying by everywhere and it's crowded and there's tight roads and you know if you've been there. And I'm driving a church van. This GPS is like my lifeline to knowing where we're going. And whenever we would get in those situations, downtown, traffic, busy, running late probably, the map would just start to spin. It's like the GPS was like, well, you're on your own here. I don't know what to do. Downtown San Francisco is pretty tricky. There's a lot of one-ways. And it would just spin. And, of course, I would lose my mind because I'm driving a giant church van and I'm in San Francisco and the kids all thought it was hilarious because I'm cussing at the GPS and I'm the youth pastor and Every so often, though, not every time, but sometimes someone who lived in San Francisco would ride along with us. 
who knew where we were going. Sometimes they would even drive. Most of the time they would just tell me where to go. And that was the best. Because a local knows the roads, and they know the traffic, and they know where to park a giant, rusted-out church van. And I didn't need that GPS anymore. I could just huck it into the glove box as hard as I could because I knew I didn't need it because I had someone who was going to be that guide for me. This is what a life in the Spirit is like or not like. See, I think a lot of us as Christians, we want to read the entire contract. We want to read all the way from the first page to the last and make sure that we agree with God before we sign that contract. A life in the Spirit just gives you like one page at a time, one paragraph at a time, just what's the next right thing that I should do? And the Spirit guides us in that direction, which is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And if I can be honest, the churches that most of us grew up in, they did not teach us how to live by the Spirit. That was rhetoric that was, that was talked about, and we sung about it, but most of us didn't learn how to trust the Holy Spirit. And I understand, I have some grace for that, because you know, I have a two-year-old right now. It's really hard to communicate. Just trust the Spirit. He needs rules. He needs black and white. He needs those concrete things. But as we mature in our faith, Paul invites us to this wide-open, terrifying place of just trusting the Spirit for the next, the next turn I need to make, the next decision that's looming, the next opportunity that's going to present itself. Life in the Spirit never promises that we're going to have the entire thing laid out for us. That's not in the, that's not in the contract. You see the difference, right? It's me being in charge or the Spirit. If none of this ever clicked for you growing up, maybe because of the church you grew up in or because of the country we live in, you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm 36 right now, and I feel like I'm just on the edge of, okay, so I live by the Spirit. Well, what in the world does that mean? Still working that out on my own. But as long as the Spirit is who the Bible says the Spirit is, we can have confidence that wherever we're going today, whatever is going to happen to us the rest of today, the Holy Spirit wants to guide us, wants to direct us, wants to lead us into that life. This is enlightened Christianity. This is high-level stuff. This is not obsessing over the GPS system and the maps and instead giving control over to the Holy Spirit. And Paul says clearly in Galatians 5 that the two are in opposition. It is a battle every day between these two poles. But if we live by the Spirit, if we make that choice, those lists, they take care of themselves. And I know it's like really popular to focus on that first list because it's pretty juicy. But look at that second list. Who of us doesn't want a life marked by that? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I used to tell my students, if you could really tap into this life in the Spirit, you would be unusual in your school. 
but you'd be very popular. Because I don't see a lot in that list that the world would be like, no, nah, I can't stand that. Can't stand that. So sick of that peace and that love and that joy. This is a great list. And a life marked by those fruits is one that is free. It's truly free to serve and to care for others. There's no egoic concerns there. That is a free life to go and do whatever God leads you to. And that's the point. That is the promise of a life in the Spirit. So with a list this good, why are so many of us stuck trying to guide ourselves, trying to follow our own rules? Well, if I can just get a little better at my sin management, if I can just adjust these controls, if I can just dial it in a little bit better, then I'll have peace and joy. Remember that Paul was an expert at dialing in all the controls, at managing all the sin. And he's the one writing us. He's the one who's so feisty in this letter. I can't believe how feisty Paul is. He might, he might look back at this and go, wow, I was, I was a little edgy there. He's the one writing to us saying, don't head down that road. Don't do it. The invitation is to freedom. And how we get there is by choosing to live in the Spirit. And when we do that, our life begins to bear that good fruit. It's not a checklist. It's not even something that we manage. Well, I need, to, I need to look for ways to be more peaceful today. Fruit like that is just going to develop as we submit our lives to the Holy Spirit. And fruit like that is going to lead other people to Jesus. It just will. And that's the fruit that our neighborhoods and our city is desperate for. Fruit that is selfless and not seek, self-seeking. Fruit that is really dangerous and daring and bold and willing to take risks because the Spirit has never guided anyone wrong. Fruit that isn't from within myself and what I can do, but is tapped into a greater source, the Holy Spirit of God. Against such thing, against such a way of life, there is no law. If you're free in God, you are free to love your neighbor. And free people free other people. And free people serve people. And free people love people. God, would that we embrace this kind of life. I think we're killing ourselves trying to manage our sin. And I think we're killing ourselves trying to stay in control and manage it with our ego God, you've invited us into a free life. There's no shackles. There's no chains. There's just a spirit guiding us. It's daring and it's bold and it doesn't make sense to the world around us. And that's exactly the point. 